When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the third in a special series of pathology podcasts celebrating the first National Pathology Week held by the Royal College of Pathologists. I'm Ben Valsler from thenakedscientists.com and in these podcasts I'll bring you some of the highlights of Pathology Week. In the other podcasts in the series we'll find out how to contain an outbreak of plague in London, we'll celebrate the success of a drug developed by pathologists to treat MS and we'll discover the last operation you can have the post-mortem. In this podcast, though, we'll be examining the benefits and risks of medical self-testing. Should people be able to test themselves for diseases or monitor their cholesterol or blood sugar in the comfort of their own home? Or are trips to the GP essential to measure your health? Home testing is a complicated and controversial issue. How do we decide what illnesses are suitable for self-testing? Who is responsible for maintaining the standards and ensuring that the tests are accurate? Should the manufacturers offer a follow-up service to help people deal with the results of their test? As there are so many facets to this issue, the Royal College of Pathologists decided to invite a panel of experts to discuss the risks and rewards of health testing. The guests included Bernie Almond from the British In Vitro Diagnostics Association, who support and help to regulate the home testing industry. Andrew Valance-Owen, the medical director of Bupa, a private healthcare company who conduct millions of clinical tests each year. We also heard from Danielle Friedman, a clinical pathologist who is very outspoken about her concerns on the way direct consumer testing is used, regulated and marketed in the UK. And from Margaret McCartney, a GP who often feels she's left to tidy up the mess that results from patient self-testing. Opening the discussion was Bernie Almond, speaking on behalf of the British In Vitro Diagnostics Association, or BIVDA. They believe that self-testing has an important and growing role to play in maintaining the health and well-being of the nation. I'm here on behalf of BIVDA, the British In Vitro Diagnostic Association. BIVDA is a trade association for the UK IVD industry. And the membership really comprises manufacturers, suppliers, distributors of pathology tests. These pathology tests, very, very useful, provide lots of information for healthcare management, for managing disease, monitoring treatment, screening disease, and so on and so forth. What I'd like to do is really pose that question, is there a role for self-testing? Well, we at Bivden, this is our positioning statement, believe that there is. We believe each and every person has got the right to carry out a self-test if they want to know more about their health. Obviously, the test needs to be accurate. It needs to conform to standards. And we'd also like to add the proviso that anybody using a self-test, if they've got any concerns at all, then they do need to see a healthcare professional. That said, millions and millions of self-tests have already been performed. The first pregnancy test was given the OK back in 1978. Ten years later, 
10 million tests of just one of these tests had been sold. So that says to me that there's certainly a need for self-testing of some type. The benefits really were privacy, obviously, and probably more importantly, the opportunity to take an active role in your own health care. There were opponents to self-testing at that time, as there are now, and they termed it a private little revolution. That revolution continues. I believe it's no longer little. Perhaps an area that we're more familiar with and people come into contact with is diabetes. Diabetes UK positioning statement actually says self-monitoring is beneficial and I think most importantly that it's valued by people who are living with diabetes. NICE itself, the government body, says we should offer self-monitoring to patients in certain circumstances. But what does the industry do? How can the industry help self-testing and help the patients? We've got to provide simple, accurate tests. We've got to educate and show people how to correctly use these self-tests, and then we've got to be there to help them interpret the results and give them the support that they might need. So just to summarise, I believe self-testing, it is important, it is happening, and it will continue to happen. I think healthcare professionals need to embrace it and not fight it. It is good when it works. It is not a replacement for central laboratories, but it does have its place and its role in healthcare management. That was Bernie Almond explaining why Bivda supports the industry of self-testing and why they see these tests as having a vital part in the future of healthcare. One person who does not share his optimism is Dr Danielle Friedman, consultant chemical pathologist at Luton and Dunstable Hospital and vice president of the Royal College of Pathologists. I will put it to you that I feel it is my professional duty to safeguard the public and the patient, particularly with regard to testing. The regulation of in vitro diagnostics and other medical devices seems to have decreased in the UK, whereas across the Atlantic it has increased. In other words, there's a lack of regulation in the UK. So, do you realise there's over a billion laboratory tests done per year in the UK? These laboratories run to very high standards. They have to comply with standards not only about their analytical accuracy, but also about the pre- and post-analytical part of the service. In other words, how we advise uh, doctors, GPs and other healthcare professionals what tests to do and how to interpret those tests. Diagnostic tests are currently CE-marked, which usually means that the manufacturer certifies that the product meets basic European Union safety and health requirements. In the UK, the MHRA, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, expects the manufacturer to produce evidence for any clinical claims made for a test and is limited really to analytical and clinical validity. In other words, if you've got a kit that measures cholesterol, you have to demonstrate that it is accurate, so it measures cholesterol, and that it does measure what it's saying it's going to measure. There is very little evidence required by the MHRA about the effectiveness of this test. In other words, is it of any utility to measure people's cholesterol? For any type of testing, the correct interpretation is crucial. Each result has to be interpreted with a great many parameters. And there are many parameters that even GPs and hospital doctors don't know which and what affect the results of tests. And just an example, if, you ha- if any of you are marathon runners and you have your muscle enzyme measured after you run a marathon, well, you might be misdiagnosed as having a massive myocardial infarction, a massive heart attack. 
Now, why do patients want to self-test? It may be because of convenience. And we all know, and I certainly know in my local area, that patients have a lot of hassle trying to get a blood test undertaken. They either have to come up to the hospital and queue for two hours and pay the parking fine, or they have to book an appointment at least two weeks ahead in their walk-in centre or their GP surgery. So if they are concerned, then it's much easier for them to go to the high street chemist and buy an over-the-counter test or buy a test through the internet. A recent Tonight programme, in fact it was a few weeks ago on Friday night, looked at home testing for glucose, cholesterol and liver tests. They looked at three types of kit for glucose, three types of kit for cholesterol and the three types of kit for liver tests. With regards to the glucose kits, two out of the three got it wrong. So the guinea pigs did their testing, two of the test kits, they gave completely erroneous answers. One out of the three kits gave more or less the same answers as an independent laboratory result. Similar results were seen both with cholesterol and liver tests. In other words, the majority of these kits that were bought either over the counter or through the internet gave the wrong result. In spring of this year, in fact it was May 2008, an article in the British Medical Journal showed quite emphatically that thousands of type 2 diabetics were told that they could be doing themselves more harm than good by constantly measuring their own blood glucose, their own blood sugar level. Other studies indeed found that patients who self-tested were more likely to be anxious and depressed than those who don't. So there is a definite downside to self-testing. So really, in essence, I have a real concern that the public can buy testing kits over the counter and via the internet without knowing the quality and the limitations of the results that will be produced. And the public really need to consider whether those results that they produce, whether it be whether they send the sample away or whether they produce it actually in their own kitchen or wherever or their bathroom, are comparable to those results that are produced by a local laboratory, which has to fulfill specific standards. I think we as professions need to work hand in hand, hand with the in vitro diagnostic associations such as BIBDA and the manufacturers and the public to make sure these tests are used efficaciously and safely. Daniel Friedman voicing her concerns as to the potential for misuse of health testing. Pathology fact. Millions of pathology tests are performed each year, an average of 14 for every man, woman and child annually. Self-testing at home is not the only controversial aspect of clinical tests. Companies like Bupa run regular health assessments, a bit like a medical MOT, where customers who feel perfectly healthy are subject to a barrage of tests with aim to identify disease early and help improve and maintain a healthy lifestyle. This sounds like an honourable aim, but many GPs disagree with subjecting healthy people to so many clinical tests, causing unnecessary anxiety or falsely reassuring someone that they can continue with an unhealthy lifestyle, provided the tests say they're OK. Dr Andrew Valence-Owen is the medical director of Bupa. As the medical director of Bupa, I have a clear professional duty for the safety, the quality of care of our uh, 10 million customers around the world. You know, we would not be doing uh, health assessments uh, in the volumes that we do if I felt there was uh, an issue about the, uh, the safety or the quality uh, or the benefit. And uh, what we're doing, of course, is responding to demand. 
in a bit of context here, I mean, you all know that there is a huge obesity epidemic in this country and elsewhere. There are huge issues about uh, poor lifestyle, <coughs> cardiac risk, smoking, which is really worrying the uh, population, many of them. And many people want to find some way of uh, working out whether they are at risk and what they should do about it. And uh, it's companies like mine which uh, try to respond to that interest and to try and help tackle this issue in our own way. So we see, uh, we do about, well, we've done about 500,000 uh, health assessments in the last uh, five years, so about 100,000 health assessments a year, which has resulted in about 20 million tests being done. This is health assessment by choice. People have come to us, they are demanding testing. And so we feel it's our responsibility as a responsible healthcare company to do assessments which are valid, which are going to provide uh, the useful information to patients, supported by being seen by a doctor, so that those tests are interpreted uh, for the patients while they're there. Very different, I think, to, uh, to self-testing. And really what we're trying to do is motivate individuals to improve their lifestyle. You know, when we do so many tests, we have very, very good you know, normal ranges to compare that individual with others of his or her age and show them where they are compared to, to others of their age group. And by doing that in graphic forms, as when you put them on an exercise bike, you can show the difference. That information presented in the right way can really motivate someone to realize, A, they're behind the curve, and then we can work with them and talk to them about how to bring them back to the sort of level that would be expected for, for their age. We've done a small study as a pilot, and we'll do a bigger one, of about 300 of our customers who came two years running, looking at all the measurements. On average, the measurements had improved from one year to the other, the weight, body fat, all, all that sort of thing. Um, it's not a big study. Uh, we need to do more. But that was... Uh, pleasing to us that it's not just about a feeling that there are there was some valid indicators of, of success if you like just very briefly uh, all our tests have an evidence based we uh, we hum and haw quite a lot about whether we should be putting tests into the assessment or not we look very carefully at the evidence before putting them in the medical dictum first do no harm is front of mind for us so we do not uh, recommend things like whole body scanning, which have their dangers, where you can find uh, abnormalities which have to be investigated, and that in itself can be dangerous. Andrew Valance-Owen, Medical Director of private healthcare company Booper, explaining why they feel their health assessments perform a valuable function, and also explaining why, despite commercial demand, they draw the line at potentially damaging tests like whole body scanning. Dr Margaret McCartney works as a GP in Glasgow and contributes a column to the Financial Times. In her work as a GP, she often sees the fallout from home testing and health assessments. She also asks, are health assessments fulfilling demand or are they pandering to a paranoia that they have helped to create? I'm a GP in Glasgow and part of my job is obviously a preventative medicine. Part of my job is also trying to pick up the pieces after other people have tried to do what they thought was preventative medicine. Basically, an awful lot of well-intentioned people are performing screening tests on the public, and I would include health assessments in that, and end up creating an awful lot of problems that either me or the patient has actually anticipated happening. 
My overall concern is that health checks are becoming increasingly used and are being oversold without the risks or the harms of them being fairly explained that are allowing people to make a fair and informed choice. Instead, I think people are being given information that emphasises the rarer potential benefits and doesn't explain properly what the harms might be. And I really question um, this idea that because there's a demand, that means that the demand must be fulfilled. I don't understand that at all. To me, it's entirely illogical. If there's a demand, surely one should try and analyse what the reason for the demand is. Is it anxiety that's being provoked, for example, rather than anything else? Is the information that people are being given actually unfair in order to them, for them to prioritise what is most important to them? It's all very well saying that you do tests in order to give people reassurance, but if you're only ever provoking the anxiety that you give the reassurance for, I think it's a fairly empty gesture. Included in this is that many, often a lot of private health checks seem to include breast and testicular examination for men and women, which I find absolutely astonishing. We know that teaching women breast self-examination does not benefit them and actually causes harm. And again, with testicular examination, there's no evidence of benefit. I'm very concerned that patients, or, or people are becoming patients and are being really paternalised by a health service that tells them, or by health professionals telling them, that the only way to get a checkup done um, for something that you could be concerned about, or perhaps should be concerned about, is to see someone privately for this. The other problem that I have with commercial organisations providing health assessments, stroke screening, is that the follow-up of these tests seem to be invariably done at the cost of the NHS, which I think is entirely unfair. Effectively, the NHS is left to sort out the mess that has been created for no good reason. And this is not something that I think has been adequately addressed or adequately examined, and it's something that causes real harm, and I think we, we really must address this, because it uses up resources that the NHS does not have to spare. In addition, I think that all people who are offering testing, either within or out with a screening programme, have to be absolutely clear that we're using the criteria of a screening test wisely, and that if we're going to be using them at all, we have to make sure that people are well aware of the potential for harm as well as that for benefit, and to help people make an informed choice, not tell them what their choice should be and encourage them into doing it. Margaret McCartney explaining why she feels self-testing can be harmful and the unnecessary tests performed during health assessments are not only likely to cause anxiety but add a further strain on the NHS. Also speaking at the debate was Dr Evan Harris MP. As Liberal Democrat science spokesman he was able to add a different perspective on the self-testing issue. I think what this evening has shown is that context is critical. So one test that's performed by a laboratory at the request of an NHS practitioner to a patient who's been counselled and given informed consent where there's follow-up is one thing, but the very same test sent directly to a patient's home for home testing or home sampling and then sending away may be totally inappropriate and damaging for that patient. And there's a whole series of things in between. And that's why it's never going to be straightforward and it's not necessarily just about the test but about the way the test is used the way the test is marketed and who it's used by and in which context. Now, all that is a challenge for regulation, but I don't think it's an insurmountable challenge. And to protect the best interests of patients and the public, we need to find a way of ensuring that vulnerable people, including members of the public who have health concerns, are protected against the unscrupulous use of tests as a way to sell treatments on the results of those tests or just to sell the tests. Liberal Democrat MP Evan Harris supplying a political perspective to the self-testing debate. 
So what do you think about self-testing? Shortly, we'll hear some opinions from the people who attended the event. But before that, let's hear a few concluding remarks from each of the speakers. Here's Bernie Almond again. These tests are currently used for disease management, screening, disease monitoring, monitoring of therapy and many other uses. We believe that self-testing is a good thing if used appropriately and correctly and with the professional support it requires both in terms of how to use the test and interpret the results. And now Danielle Friedman. I have great concerns about direct-to-consumer testing the way it is used in the UK and the availability in the UK and the provision of that service. I also have great concerns about the delivery of point-of-care testing out in the community. That's in primary care, whether it be in a polyclinic, high street chemist or a walk-in centre. As a result of that, the college and the other professional organisations, namely the Association for Clinical Biochemistry, the Institute of Biomedical Science and the MHRA are working very closely together to produce standards for delivery of -of point-of-care testing in the community, which is there to protect not only the patient and the public, but also the provider of that service. We return to Andrew Valance-Owen. We provide a huge number of assessments, nearly 100,000 health assessments a year for our customers. We certainly believe in their value. There is no worry about cost-effectiveness in our case. It's because a customer wants to pay the money and they get the tests. Mainly it's about lifestyle. It's about motivating people to improve their lifestyle. Very rarely is it about real pathology. Sometimes we do pick up real pathology and that can save lives. But essentially it's about helping people improve their lifestyle, improve their fitness, reduce their cardiac risk factors. And finally, Margaret McCartney. It is an increasing problem that GPs have. Quite often people do come in with tests that they've had done um, from the the margarine lady in the gym and with their cholesterol or from the high street. The problem is that often these tests aren't actually providing us with valid results and um, we might have to repeat them and quite often the test result is quite different. Sometimes people have been falsely reassured by a test. For example, um, a lady might have had a liver function test done and assumed that since it was okay she was fine to keep drinking rather excessive amounts um, most days of the week. Um, And I think that the important thing is that a test is really only part of medical care. It's not the be-all and end-all. It has to be interpreted in the context of what else is wrong and obviously what the patient's concerns are. And I don't think that's paternalistic at all. To me, it's more about giving fair information to people and allowing them to make their own minds up and their own choices about what they do, but ensuring that the information people are given are fair, firstly. This remains a controversial issue, but hopefully hearing these very different perspectives will have helped you to form an informed opinion. I asked a few people from the audience if the event had changed their views on self-testing. And I think that any result you have, even if you've been to your GP, does need medical and scientific input to help you interpret it, put it in the right context. There there were two tests that I did think were useful for self-testing, pregnancy testing and diabetic testing, and I think my view has changed on those now after this discussion because it seems like the evidence has changed regarding diabetic self-testing. Certainly monitoring might be a useful thing to do still, but diagnosis, if you think you've got something wrong, something as serious as diabetes, go and see a GP. Um, I think that home testing can be a very useful tool for patients, but I think for the normal everyday person who has absolutely nothing wrong with them they're not accurate enough there's not enough explanation and just generally not necessary 
So home monitoring is advantageous, but home diagnosis, you think, would be a problem? Um, home monitoring in certain cases for certain people, like, say, for warfarin, which is a very dangerous drug to get the wrong dosage level. Um, I think somebody tonight made the interesting point that people that self-monitor glucose levels actually find it detrimental. So I think there needs to be a case-by-case assessment. Nothing is ever across the board. You, you've got to take everything on its own merits, and making sweeping generalisations is always going to be a, a problem and should never be done. Has anything this evening changed your opinion? Not changed my opinion, but I feel better informed. I don't have a medical background by trade, so for me I've responded to the marketing and the PR that I've seen in the press over the past couple of years, and it's been presented as uh, almost essential. Um, So as a result of that, prior to coming here, I always thought that home testing and home monitoring was an important part of looking after your day-to-day health. And having heard the various arguments presented this evening, how do you feel now? Uh, Well, having heard the arguments, I think there is still a lot to be said for making sure that you check... Um, your body on a regular basis to identify if there are any problems. But what you can't do is effectively diagnose those problems and obviously apply appropriate treatment. You have to seek medical advice, and and I think that's always been the case. But what I did find interesting today was that a lot of the uh, professional organisations which offer home and slightly specialist scanning um, services are certainly not what they seem. And as a result of that, I think it's very unlikely that I'll be taking much notice of their marketing anymore. That's all for this Pathology Week podcast. In the rest of the series, we highlight key events throughout the week. We get involved in an outbreak of plague and we sit in on a post-mortem. You can find out more about National Pathology Week online at nationalpathologyweek.org. That's all one word. And you can visit the Royal College of Pathologists on their website at rcpath.org. I'm Ben Valsler from thenakedscientists.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>